0: Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church Podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch.com. SV. Thank you so much, and enjoy today's talk. Who's excited for church? Come on, if you have, we have not met. My name is Ali, and uh, my beautiful wife and I. We started this church six years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians can come and explore their faith, but unchurched people, man, could come ask questions, bring their doubts which is why I am so excited for this collection of talks called Explore God. And if you were not here last week, I explained that 150 churches in the Bay Area are doing this collection of talks at the same exact time. There has never been more unity in the South Bay than and ever in this valley before. And I'm just so excited for what God's going to do. This valley has been known as a graveyard for churches, as the most unchurched region in the entire country. But I just believe these are the seeds of faith that churches are planning for revival coming one day. Amen? But I didn't like the name Explore God. I didn't like the questions, so we, we branded it because our tribe, so we called it Attack the Elephant. What are those things, objections to faith between you and God, the elephant in the room that are holding you back from faith, holding you back from trusting God to a greater degree. And because I'm a little extra, I even changed the questions. And the questions are on the screen. We're going to answer each one of these questions every single week. Last week we answered the question, why is God so hard to find? In a couple of weeks we're going to answer, answer the question, why is God a bloodthirsty, vindictive egomaniac in the Old Testament? How can a good God allow hell? And is Christianity oppressive? And I think the question that many of us are in our culture are asking is, what does Jesus and trans- transgenderism say today? And the question I want to answer today, I'm going to need some help, is simply this, why would a... Would God, who is good, someone say good, create a world full of evil and suffering? This was a question I wrestled with before I became a Christian and even after I become a Christian. This is a question I wrestled with before I was a pastor and even after I became a pastor. There have been multiple times on the journey of starting this church that I've been overcome with grief, with despair, anxiety, dare I say depression, wondering, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this? I thought you were good. And in those moments, let's just be honest, those are hard seasons for anyone to go through. Your faith is taking to beating, even though you're trying your best to believe And In those moments, the only question that you have in your heart that you can express is why. And that I'm not the only one immune to this. There are people, this room is filled with people that have come to my wife and I in the last six years that have asked those same questions. Let me read to you some of their stories. There's a, a young woman in this room who had headaches and fatigue only to go to the doctor to be diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Why? There's a faithful spouse in this room who comes to church, serves, gives, does groups, and yet has a husband who is unfaithful. Why? There's people on this staff who help build God's house, who are faithful for years and yet have a son, not with one, but with two deadly diseases. Why? There are men in this room who grew up in a neighborhood without a father. And they grew up in a neighborhood where either you are a drug dealer or a drug user and God saved you, but not your brother. Why? And there are people in this room who were raised to know God and have followed him since elementary school. And yet, even after you got married in faith, ever since the miscarriage, you have asked God, why? And in my own life, after going through COVID in 2020, depression in 2021, Easter 2022 was the one glimpse of hope that I had, we had 185 people in the room. We had eight people receive Christ that day. On a day with so much life was the day that my father walked into Kaiser and they rolled him out 13 days later in a casket. Why would God, who is good, allow so much evil and suffering? If you haven't asked that question yet, let me tell you, you, you're going to. And let me encourage some of you who have that question in your heart, you're afraid to ask it out loud. It doesn't mean you don't love God. It doesn't mean you don't even trust him. You just have some doubts. It's healthy to ask those questions. And Jesus said this in John 16, In this world you will have trouble. Not exactly the promise you want to hear. But I'm thankful for a Savior who gives us the truth, who speaks the truth, and always tells us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. He's not a politician. He's not a world leader that will just tickle our ears and tell us lies to get votes and put an off. He'll tell us the truth even when it hurts. And he's trying to teach us a simple truth. On this side of eternity, there will be pain. Ask any Cowboys fan last week. But the second half of this verse is even better. Just making sure you're paying attention. Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Anybody thankful for Jesus? Come on. And I'm thankful for a Savior who didn't just overcome some of the pain, but all of it. And I'm going to try to answer a very difficult question, why, God? If you can bow your heads and pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, that as we engage your presence today, God, as we contemplate your word, as we look to your word for healing and hope, and for answers, God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see your smoothing and healing voice, Holy Spirit. There are people in this room that are hurting, that are anxious, that are depressed, that are hopeless, God. That have life beating them down and they need hope on the way out. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Bring peace. Bring hope. And if you believe that, everybody said. Amen. Come on, can we give Jesus a broad and applause? Everybody said. We began this collection of talks last week answering a question I get asked every once in a while. Why is God so hard to find? The question today, though, is probably the question I get asked almost every week. Why would a good God allow evil and suffering? Why would God allow me to go through that? Where is God when I'm going through all this pain? Why would God even create a world? Listen, why would God even create a world with the possibility for the potential for evil, for divorce, for death, for rape, for murder, for child abuse, which I think is the worst evil in the world. A small, impressionable child who is so vulnerable to adults, and yet the one who's supposed to protect them is the one that is hurting them. Which is why, in a couple of weeks, I gotta answer a question, ask and answer a question that almost everyone in our culture is asking. It's not even a question that I want to ask. It's a question that's being forced on us every 10 seconds. Every time you open the news, every time you look at social media, we can't even go a day without asking the question, what does the church, what does Jesus say about gender dysphoria? It's a question that I didn't get trained how to answer that question in seminary. It's a question that is being forced on me. And let me just prepare you for that talk. There has always been and there will always be people who suffer from gender dysphoria. But let me encourage you, if there's ever a group of people that can help those who their flesh says one thing and God says another, it ought to be the people of God. If there's ever a group of people that say, I want to do this, but God wants me to do that, this is hard, somebody help me, it ought to be the people of God who struggle with the same exact things. Maybe not that struggle, but a different struggle, amen? Amen. But, But the word of God says that Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And although we are a church full of grace, if God can use me, let me tell you, he can use anyone. And if if God could give me hope and me purpose, we can give that same hope and purpose to anyone. But at the same time, we're not just affirming, giving everyone grace unconditionally. We are also people of truth. And this movement, I believe, has its origins in the pit, in the darkest pit of hell. And I want every person in this room on November 12th in the room, even every fifth grader in the room. Let me tell you why. Because the schools aren't going to tell you the truth. Target ain't going to tell you the truth. Disney is not going to tell you the truth. Our politicians in Washington aren't going to tell you the truth. It's the word of God that is going to tell us the truth. Amen? Amen? And I just believe, so believe that that question, I just need to warn you, is going to be a question that will unite us as a church, not just in love, but in truth. Today, though, i got to answer a question that I get asked all of, if not every single week, is why would God, who is good? Someone say, who is good? Who is good? bring Create a world full of evil and suffering. Why would God allow a world for a woman to be raped, a child to be molested, someone who is good and loves God to experience cancer, death, divorce? Why? And notice the question says, a God who is good. Because you got to get that in your spirit. God is good. Psalm 34 says this, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Someone say "Good." good. Psalm 119 says, you are good and you do. Someone say it for me good Psalm 145 says the Lord is good to all and even Jesus says this in Mark 10 verse 18 no one is good except for God alone and for for those of you that don't know this faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God and some of you hear these verses about the goodness of God and your faith is being built up you're encouraged that God is good and he does good and he only does good to all but some of you in this room you got questions because what you read in the scriptures does not align with what you're feeling in reality. And there's that gap versus what the word says versus what you are feeling. God is good, but everything in your life is not good. And you got questions. God, if you're so good, why, why, are only, why don't uh, rapists and murderers have cancer? Why do good people have cancer? Why isn't there cosmic karma for only evil villains to be in wheelchairs? Why are good people in wheelchairs? Why is there some moms who will give birth and only hold their child for a few hours before it passes away? And then there are moms that don't even want their children and sometimes discard them even before they're born. And this question was asked by an atheist in 2004 by the name of David Hume. And he asked this in 2004 when 250,000 people died in the tsunamis in the Gulf of India. He said this, if God is God, then he is not good. If God is good, then he is not God. You can't have it both ways, especially after the Indian Ocean catastrophe. And what he's saying is that there are two beliefs that Christians hold, that God is all powerful, and at the same time, he's all good. God has the power to do anything. At the same time, he's not some superpower. He's good. And this man is saying, if there's this much evil, this much catastrophe in the world, it can't be both. I wrote the question like this. Is God strong enough? but not good enough to end evil and suffering, or God is good enough but not strong enough to do something worthwhile about it. Before we judge God, condemn God, and get angry at God for not doing what we want Him, in our eyes, we should be doing, let me just take a step back and ask, who are we evaluating? <laughs> We're evaluating the most powerful, the most beautiful, the most omnipresent person in human history the one in the beginning in the beginning God what was before that nothing but God what what happened before the earth God was there before time before light before anything was created in the beginning God before he's outside of time outside of matter and outside of everything that we see we're all judging that guy I tried to bring this philosophical question last week, and I showed this question by showing this picture on the screen. If we were to take all the human knowledge in the world since the dawn of time and put it in the circle. I actually want everyone in this room, if you have a notebook, pull it out. And I want you to draw a circle on that notebook. And with faith and with confidence, I want you to shade in what percentage of human knowledge you think you have. And I want you to look to your left and to your right. And if you see anyone filling in and say, neighbor, you're an idiot. (laughs) And then tell your husband you love him because he's the only one private enough to do that. And the reality is we can't claim any amount of that real estate. Let me tell you why. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Now I see, someone say see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then not now, then I will see face to face. Now I know in part, then. Someone say then. Then, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. What the scriptures are constantly trying to tell us is the invisible world created the visible world. What you can't see, created everything we do see. So there are things we can't see and things that we will never see. So there is a limitation as long as we are in this lifetime. We cannot see the spirit realm but there is one who doesn't have that limitation. There is one who sees beyond what we see, who sees things that we can't see, and yet we have the audacity to judge the one who sees all. For a moment, let me ask this question. Maybe your anger indicates a character quality of God that you didn't know you had. Your anger is actually directed at someone that you think is good and all-powerful. Your anger communicates, I think you should, I think you could have, you should have, but you didn't. Maybe God didn't do what you wanted him to do because you don't know what he knows because you don't see what he sees. And I wrote it like this. If God is good enough and if God is big enough to be mad and to blame, might he be big enough and good enough to see what we cannot see and know what we cannot know? See, often we judge God as if he's a peer. He's in a different category, all by himself, which is why God is constantly trying to communicate to us, especially in Isaiah 55, he says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher, someone say higher, Higher. than the earth, so my ways are higher. Someone say higher higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is in a different category. God doesn't learn, by the way. God never goes, I just thought of something. He doesn't have epiphanies. He's always known. And there are times, listen, where you will not see God and you will not feel God. So God had to give us a verse to not walk by sight but by faith. Because there are moments on the journey of life where you will be walking and exploring going, I don't see God. I don't feel God. I don't experience him in my life. So God gave you this verse in Romans chapter 8. It says this. Next verse. And we know that in all things, someone say all things. God works for the good of those who love him even when you don't feel it even when you don't see it, even when your feelings communicate one thing, God says, I'm in the background. I'm doing good for you. I'm doing things you can't see. And therein lies the tension. Therein lies this reality that we live in a world where God is declaring he's good and we can't see what he sees and there's this tension in our heart. and And this is the question I want to ask. So let's break this down. Why would a good God create a world full of evil and suffering? It's on your screen. He didn't. He didn't. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. The four most powerful verses in human literature. In the beginning, God. Before the big bang, there was a big God that went bang. (laughs) In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Next verse. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God's going to bring chaos out of the disorder by saying these four powerful words. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. Someone say good. And he separated light from darkness. Verse 31, God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. Someone say good. You need to realize everything God does is good. He is good, he does good, and he does good to all, and everything he creates is good. So I wrote like this, everything God created is good. I know in a moment it feels like I'm reading half the Bible. Don't worry, I'm only going to read one-third of it this morning. But James chapter 1 gives us more insight. Wow. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every, someone, what's that word? Good. Good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, and therein lies the tension that the scriptures are abundantly clear that God is good, that God does good, and everything he creates is good, and yet the world is not good, and there's this tension. God, why would you create a world even for the potential? I wrote like this, God, if God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere present, then surely he must have known the potential for pain and suffering. And I would argue that you don't even need to be God to make the same choice God did. In 2013, my wife and I, we said, we got married. Two weeks ago, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. It was amazing. Thank you. But in 2013, man, we were, we were, like, this poor, and there's a category below that is, like, broke. Like, we were so broke, poor, we didn't have furniture for the first year of our marriage. I, I still remember, I have trauma from this. We would, we would literally eat dinner at our coffee table. And there was a a three-month period where we didn't even have a coffee table. We would just eat dinner because we were that poor, trying to do everything we could to get out of debt. And then when we finally did, after 18 or 24 months, we finally got, we had this question. Are we ready to have kids? Do we have enough money? Do we want to raise a kid in America in this unchurched region called California? It feels like another foreign country. Like, what what are we going to do? And we had to evaluate the love or the lack of money. And every parent makes that decision that the potential for love and hope far outweighs the fear and pain. And if you ask any parent who has ever held their child for an hour, a month, a year, maybe even 10 years old, and had to bury their child, and you ask them, was it worth it to go through all of that and then lose their child? They wouldn't trade anything for those moments with their child. And let me just listen. Neither would God. Neither would God. Uh, I, I need a sermon illustration. Let me... If I can throw it. Oh, yeah. Woo. <laughs> See, God did not make a Build-A-Bear. This is a Build-A-Bear. For those of you that don't know, your wife's going to want to buy these. They're very expensive. <laughs> it's just cotton, and you take a, a 10-year loan to buy one of these things. And Build-A-Bear is awesome because you can play God. You want a short one? You want a tall one, Skinny? Curly hair, straight hair, whatever you want, you can play God. And what's powerful about Build-A-Bear is that you get to program it and hard-code it to do what you want. There are these things in the hand that you can push. Can you hear it? It's praying in tongues. Don't worry. It's, it's Grogu talking in its language. And, and my daughter could have chosen to say, I love my dad or I love my sister. And sometimes we think, why does God allow evil and suffering? And my question for you is, did God build a bear or did God make man in his own image? The God, the creator, created beings to create, to choose life with him or without him. And so when God comes and squeezes your hand and says, I love you, he didn't hard code you and program you to say, I love you back. God, in humility, says, I'm going to give you the choice to accept me or reject me, to walk with me or not to walk with me. And therein lies the choice, and therein lies where the origin of evil came. Because in Genesis chapter 3, we find the origin where evil came. God says, don't eat from this tree, but walk with me. Choose life and choose instead of death and Adam and Eve. They didn't make the right choice. And then sin entered the world, a world that was good. Someone say good. We messed it up. And the effects of that choice are found in Romans chapter 12. If you can catch us, Ethan. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, this in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. Let me explain it like this. What is evil? Evil is not a thing. Let me explain that. Did you know the color black is not a color? Black is actually the absence of color. You take blue, red, and green out of any palette, any color, you, t- you remove all the color. What's left is not another color. It's black. Black is the absence of color. Do you know what darkness is? Darkness is not a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. Any engineers in the room? Okay, two nerds. Awesome. Thank God bless you. But in, when I was in AP Calculus in, in, in high school and in college, there's this thing called absolute zero. And you learn what is absolute zero is negative 459.67 degrees Fahrenheit below zero. And it's very cold. But what happens at that temperature is literally the molecules that are shaking that create heat. They stop shaking. Cold is not a thing. It's the absence of heat. In the same way that black is not a color. It's the absence of light. At a word like this. Evil is the absence of good. It's the absence of God. Which is why Satan is the embodiment of evil, because he's never in the presence of God. And if that's what evil is, if evil, if you and I can choose evil or choose God, just knowing that when you don't choose God, you have chosen evil. For anything that is not of God or outside of will of God is sin. I wrote like this, we are responsible for sin, not God. And sin, listen, is responsible for evil and suffering, not God. Sin is choosing anything outside of God's will, embracing anything outside of he wants for us. And all of us, not some of us, all of us have embraced this. And sometimes we think, well, I accepted Christ. Why do bad things happen to me, Pastor Ali? And sometimes we have this idea of like cosmic karma. Let me explain this concept. Sometimes we, we walk with God, we, 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 we live with God, and we think, man, I, I did one thing wrong, and now these bad things are happening. In my life. God must be punishing me. And so sometimes we think, oh, my goodness, God is, is, is doing bad to me because I've done bad. Listen, in, the, in a human courtroom, there's this thing called double jeopardy. Does anyone know what double jeopardy is? A few of you. It means you can't be cry, tried for the same crime twice. If you're a Lakers fan, that's a crime. And if you repent, that's great. You won't be judged twice for that crime. But in a real courtroom, let's say you steal something and you serve a year in prison, you can't be tried for that same crime twice. What many of you will n- would never allow in a human courtroom think happens in a heavenly courtroom. You're saying, I know I did bad and Jesus paid for it, but that payment's not enough. I gotta be punished again. And what you're really saying is what Jesus did on the cross for me is not enough. Which is why Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 5. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. This is the same question they brought to Jesus. Why do good things, bad things happen to good people? And they came up to this blind man in John chapter 3. It says, why is he blind, Jesus? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus says, watch this. Neither. Neither this man nor his parents sin," said Jesus. But this has happened so that the words of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus had compassion on this man and then healed this man. And this is not the first time this question is posed in the scriptures. There's a man named Job in the scriptures who had a wife, beautiful kids, a business, and then the devil came and took all of it. And people all around Job, all of his friends and family were like, What would you do, Job? What did you do? You must be hiding sin. Bad things don't happen to good people. You must be doing something in secret. That's why bad things are happening to you. And that's not the case. We have all been born in a world, all of us, in a world that is marred, that has been wrecked and ravaged by sin. And suffering is the collective result. So the question that we need to ask is, if God has the power to eradicate evil and suffering, why hasn't he done it? And the answer is this. Just because God has not, does not mean that God will not ever. Judging God at the evil in the world is like watching a movie, getting angry, and leaving halfway through. Or reading a book and only getting through half the book and saying, ah, you're not even at the end yet. You're you're judging him before. Just because God has delayed justice doesn't mean he's denied justice. And the reason is God is patient. God is patient. He's waiting for you to repent. Because if God removes sin in the world, he has to remove some of you. See, the first time Jesus came, he came to pay for the penalty of sin. But our Savior is coming back a second time. And the second time he made a promise that I will remove sin. I'm going to remove death. I'm going to remove disease. There won't be need for doctors. There won't be need for for, for police officers, guns. I'm going to remove all the effects of sin. And the moment he does that, if you have not repented of sin, he has to remove you. Which is why in Second Peter says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some Understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Imagine if God just let everyone to heaven. We would need to lock our doors in heaven. We would need police officers in heaven. We need chips on our credit cards, but we don't need any of those things. God does not let good people into heaven. He lets forgiven people in. And he's patient. Here's why. Lamentations 3.22. Because the Lord's great love for us, though we have not been consumed, for his compassion never fails. God is patient because God is loving. And this next verse is the verse I don't even understand. It's Ezekiel 33, verse 11. I, this is God's being, take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their evil ways and live. Turn, God says. Turn from your evil ways while wow, you die. I remember in 2011, a dictator by the name of Gaddafi was finally captured. He was the leader of Libya for almost 40 years. This man killed, raped hundreds of thousands of lives, responsible for bombings all across the Middle East. And they finally, the, the, his people rose up and said, we've had enough and I remember watching the news in 2011, and they paraded this man, this dictator that was responsible for so much death. And I was in my room cheering. We finally got him. And I remember being confronted by this verse, and God saying, Why are you cheering for what I'm not cheering? Be honest, did you cheer when they caught Osama bin Laden? Did you cheer and get happy when they finally ended the dictator reign of Osama bin Laden? Maybe Saddam Hussein, you name the dictator that we've had in those last 30 years. God does not rejoice in the death of one person. You and I may rejoice, but God doesn't have the heart that we have. God is patient. God is slow to coming back because he even wants them to repent. And he, he wants you to bend your knee to him and everyone will at one point or another either in this lifetime or the next, but Hebrews chapter 11 says we are given one life and then judgment. You cannot accept Christ after you die. If I can communicate, one, the heart of God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, when they caused sin to enter the world, when they were the ones that allowed evil, God didn't come with a stick. He came with compassion. He didn't come angry. He came full of love to hide their shame, to hide their condemnation. And God so loves us. In John chapter five, Jesus says, my father and I have been working since the beginning. God hasn't had a Sabbath day since Adam and Eve sinned because he's been working to bring his kids back home. And then he sent his son Jesus to die for us. The God who left heaven, the God in the the beginning, God, Jesus was there. He's the one that created the universe. And then he entered the universe he created. Not because he wanted to, because that's what dads do for their children. And he entered. And lived a sinless, perfect life. He didn't come to give us a book. He came to die for us on his cross. And he's waiting for you to receive the forgiveness of sin. I wrote like this. Jesus came to enter our fall, to rescue us from sin and suffering and bring us back to God. Would you accept him? Because he's the only hope we have. Revelation 21 says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. At that time, the second time he comes, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, for the older things have passed away. How do I receive Jesus? Romans ten thirteen says, Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. The reason why Jesus is a savior and not a philosopher, he didn't come to give us teachings. We didn't need a mathematician, which is why God didn't send a mathematician. We didn't need an economist. We needed a savior to be saved from sin. And that's why he came. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd love to pray for you. God, sometimes we judge you. God, sometimes we get angry at the way life is. God, but I I feel you tugging on my heart. I need forgiveness, Lord. I need to be right with you, Jesus. If that's you this morning, and your relationship with God is not right, if you have not yet received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're feeling this tug on your heart, let me tell you, Jesus left heaven, and he became a man. And he didn't come just to teach, he came to die. And he died on a cross for your sin and for my sin. If that's you this morning, you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to, with every eye closed and every head bowed. I'm going to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Would you shoot your hand up if that's you this morning? You want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Just pray this prayer in your heart. Thank you, Jesus leaving heaven for me for dying in my place forgiving me cleansing me of sin through and through fill me with your Holy Spirit as I receive salvation I turn from my ways I repent Lord and I choose to follow you all the days of my life I also feel led to pray for others of you in this room who are asking the question why Maybe there was a parent who was abusive as a child growing up. Maybe there was a spiritual leader in your life who who didn't treat you in a loving way. Maybe there's a loved one that passed away too soon. Maybe there was a friend that betrayed you. I don't know what pain you're going through, what depression you carry, but I just feel led to pray for hope and healing with every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus, there are people in this room that are hurting, God. And we're gathered here today in your presence. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort, that you would breathe life and hope and peace over us today. God, every heart that's hurting, God, you say in the book of Psalms that you are close to the brokenhearted. Thank you, Jesus, in 1 Peter 5, says that we can cast your cares upon God for he cares for you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are good, and you do good, and you do good to all. I just pray, Lord, for those in this room that are hurting and hopeless, that are questioning your character, that maybe don't see the good you're doing. Give them hope and faith that you are working all things for the good of those that love you. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth, God, and there are things that we can't see that you see. There are things we don't understand on this side of eternity, God, but God, may I turn our anger and our judgment into faith and hope that you are a good dad, that you proved your love for us by dying for us on a cross. May we see your goodness, may we see your faith towards us, your kindness towards us, that you, you died not just for your friends, but for your enemies, Lord. Pray for those in this room that are questioning the goodness of God, that you would minister to us, Jesus, this morning, hope and healing, to trust you again, to remove this elephant. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon.